Hey Harvest, the Jux family misses you guys. We miss you. Today's passage is Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. Please read along with us. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Amen. Well, thank you, Brandon and Tiff and little Brylin, too. Appreciate that good reading of Romans chapter 6. Church, wherever you are right now, let me encourage you to take your Bibles and let's turn together to the passage that was just read, Romans 6, verses 1 through 5. And as you're turning there, let me just share a quick story today about a Russian monk, a monk named Grigory Yefimovich Novik, otherwise known as the infamous Rasputin. Rasputin, if you didn't know, he was born as a peasant in uh, Siberia. And he wasn't born Rasputin. His name was Grigory, but he was given the name Rasputin, which in in uh, Russian means the debauched one. It's because he had a reputation for being an immoral person and living a, an immoral lifestyle. And that nickname and that reputation followed Rasputin for all of his days. It even followed him into the monastery because Rasputin had this, this quasi-religious experience and it led him into the, the monastery but unlike Martin Luther, when Rasputin went into the monastery, he didn't pursue a, a, a life of piety and righteousness. Instead, he embraced a kind of antinomianism, a kind of lawlessness, he and the other monks who were around him. And they started to think and dream up this theology that, you know, as they embrace their sexual desires, that actually draws them closer to God. And... Just so you know, Rasputin was an incredibly sexually perverse person. He would seduce young women and even visit brothels. And he, he, he actually taught that this lifestyle was necessary for salvation. And that it was the necessary outworking of being justified by faith. He believed that salvation came from repeated experiences of sin and repentance. Sin and repentance. So, you know, if you're saved by grace then just indulge your flesh. Why not? And let grace do its great work. Rasputin, his beliefs and his practices actually got weirder and weirder after that. He, he would actually travel around Russia and, and never bathe. And so he had this, this pungent body odor that followed him everywhere. And he also had a, a reputation as a healer. He actually uh, did something to heal Czar, uh, the Tsar of Russia's son, and that led him to become the chief advisor to the Tsar's wife, a woman named Alexandra. So when Tsar Nicholas II went off to war with all of his troops in World War I, 
uh, actually Rasputin ruled over Russia de facto through the Tsar's wife, Alexandra. And all of this came to a bloody end, in the end at the end of 1916 when Rasputin was assassinated. It actually came to an end for the entire royal family in 1917 during the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. All of the royal family was put to death, executed, and many people blamed Rasputin for all the things that happened. Now, that, all that's fascinating to me. It really is. I love studying the history of Russia and some of those things that happened. But what's fascinating to me as it relates to Romans chapter 6 is Rasputin's theology. Does God want us to indulge our flesh in order to draw close to him? Does God want us to live sexually perverse lifestyles like what Rasputin taught in order to, to uh, experience grace to a higher degree than we're experiencing now? Let me just ask it this way. And this is the question that's framed in Romans chapter 6. Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 5, grace increases, as sin increases, grace increases all the more. Grace superabounds even. So shall we continue sinning so that grace may abound? Paul says in answer to that question in Romans 6, meganoita in Greek. Absolutely not. Uh-uh, no way are we going to do that. Christianity is not about that. You see, here's what the Apostle Paul knows. Here's why he writes about this in Romans chapter 6. Paul knows that there's a little Rasputin inside of all of our hearts whispering to us, oh, just sin, just indulge yourself. Grace is good enough. It's okay. Grace, grace will abound. If you sin a little bit, grace will abound. So more sin, more grace. Paul knows that that little Rasputin inside of your heart is leading you to, to, to indulge yourself in sinfulness. And Paul wants to nip that in the bud. Paul says essentially here, and this is the argument of Romans 6. He says, you are dead to sin, Christian. You are dead to sin. Why would you continue in it? As a saved follower of Jesus Christ, you are dead to sin. That's the title of our message today, dead to sin. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what it means to be dead to sin, Christian. So here's your outline for, the for, uh, for today, church. Wherever you are right now, let me just encourage you to write these down and remember these. Number one, God's grace means freedom from sin. God's grace means freedom from sin. Not freedom to sin, but freedom from sin. We are not, when we get saved, given a license to sin. We are, we are dead to that. We are dead to sin. And death means freedom from sin. Paul says in chapter 6, verse 1, let's follow this argument. He says, what shall we say then? In light of all that I've said in Romans 1 through 5, all this talk about, about justification by faith, about grace, what shall we say then? Paul says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound it's a good question. By the way, I read this last week that Paul asks something like 74 rhetorical questions in the book of Romans. That's a lot of questions. 74. I don't want to deal with all 74 of those questions. I just want to deal with the questions in this passage, specifically in verse 1. Look at this again. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? 
And, and why, why is Paul talking about that? He just talked at the end of chapter 5 about this super abounding grace that comes and, and overcomes our sin. As, grace, as sin increase, increases, grace super increases. So, you know, he knows that an improper understanding of justification and grace can lead to what, to this, this kind of libertinism where we indulge our flesh. Paul knows that that is not in keeping with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's got to deal with this head on. And he might have had to deal with that in the course of his ministry. Either sarcastically or, or maybe genuinely, people asked him in the synagogues, okay, Paul, so we're saved by grace. I got it. So if sin increases through the law, and that makes grace increase, shall we just sin like crazy? <laughs> Actually, it probably is sarcastic. Shall we just sin like crazy, crazy so that grace may increase, increase too? And here's what Paul says in answer to that. Paul is as definitive as he is emphatic with his answer right here. He says, absolutely not. Uh-uh. Meganoita, verse 2, by no means. And then Paul counters that hypothetical rhetorical question with a rhetorical question of his own. Here's what he asks. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who died to sin still live in it? The reformer John Calvin, he says this. He says, after sin has held men sunk in ruin, grace then comes to their help. If that's the case, if Calvin's right, and, and he is, by the way, if he's right, why would you ever run back to sin? Why would you ever run back to that ruin? We are dead to sin. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, we need to be careful about this, okay? So let me, let me clarify something here. Because it, we need to clarify what this word deadness, this idea deadness to sin, sin means. Otherwise, I think you can get really discouraged by this. Some people think that this deadness to sin means that we are totally insensible to sin. It's like it doesn't even have an effect on us. We're not tempted by it anymore. When we're, when we're saved, it's like, you know, we're dead to sin. It's like a guy in a casket. He's totally insensible to sin like, like, like a guy in a coffin is to, to peanut butter, okay? It has no effect on us anymore. Actually, I heard this last week about a pastor who used this kind of illustration. And he said, this pastor that, you know, he, he knew somebody who loved chocolate and was addicted to chocolate and ate way, way, way more chocolate than anybody really should. And it was totally unhealthy for him to do that. But then he died, not, not from chocolate, but from something else. But then he died and... and you know, as he's in that coffin, even if you brought the finest chocolates from Switzerland and put it right up to his nose, that guy would never be tempted to eat chocolate. And, and the pastor's like, well, that's what it's like to be dead to sin. You're just dead to that. Is that what Paul's talking about here? Is that what he means? I think we know, and if you just think about it for a minute, that, that doesn't even hold true, that analogy in human experience. Like, Pastor Tony, I don't feel that way. I still get tempted. I still indulge my flesh from time to time. I still want to sin. How do, how do I make sense of that with us being dead to sin? Well, I think Paul means something else here. Here's another analogy. Maybe this will help. 
Another pastor I heard this last week talked about um, a country that was ruled by, let's just say, a wicked, a wicked government. And then this rightful, righteous government comes in and takes over the country and pushes all of the former government, all the, the wicked people, out to the fringes of the country. But it's not as if those people don't exist anymore. Instead, there's, there's soldiers that exist in that, that former government that's been ousted, and now they're engaged in guerrilla warfare against the right government, against the current government. And, and I, as I think about it, that's the right analogy right there. Because we used to be ruled by sin. We used to be ruled by death. Paul even says that at the end of Romans chapter 5. Death reigned. Sin reigned in our hearts. But now grace reigns. And now Christ reigns. But we're in this period right now until Christ, the full, his full reign is, is, uh, culminates at the end of time. We're in this time period right now where, yes, Christ is reigning, but we're involved in guerrilla warfare right now. And there is sin on the edges that is, that is fighting against us and attacking us. Here's the truth of the matter for you, Christian, right now. When you get saved, when you get saved, when you give your life to Christ, you make Jesus Christ the king of your heart and he rules over your life. Sin used to reign, now it doesn't reign. Christ reigns. But there's still something inside of you. There's still this sin nature inside of you that wars in your, in your body, in your members. you got the Holy Spirit inside of you. you got the sin nature inside of you. And they're at, at war with one another. And we are called to live lives of righteousness and to wage this guerrilla warfare that, that's causing us to, to be tempted and to drag us down and to get us to ignore the Holy Spirit inside of us. And what, what Paul is saying here is that that little Rasputin inside of you, he's, he's saying to you, hey, 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 just give in to your flesh. Just, you know, just indulge yourself. Just indulge your, your sinfulness. Let the gorillas have their way. God, God's grace will cover it. You ever get whispers like that sometimes in temptation? Just the more you sin, it's okay because grace will abound. More sin, more grace. Isn't that good? And Paul's saying right here, uh-uh. Uh-uh. Genuine faith means initiating a genuine fight against sin. It means freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. I've said this here before at Harvest. I feel compelled to reiterate this time and time again. Grace, Harvest Decatur, has a backbone, okay? Grace is strong, and it leads us to fighting the good fight of faith Grace is not just a sentimental pile of mush. Grace has strength, and the grace that saves us is also the grace that changes us. And it, and it steers us and encourages us. Get out there and fight. Fight the good fight of faith on behalf of Christ. And some of you might say, okay, well, thank you, Pastor John. What do I fight against? What do I fight against? Fight against lust. Fight against envy. Fight against discontentment. Fight against malice and bitterness inside of your heart. Fight against idolatry inside of your heart. Don't just sit around and let flesh take control of you. 
Make war against your flesh. That's what God has called us to do. That's hard, Pastor Tony. I don't want to do that. Yeah, it is hard. You know, the, the Lord has called us to take up our cross and follow him. Salvation is easy. <laughs> Justification is easy. I have faith in Christ. He saves me. Bada boom, bada bing. I'm saved. That's fantastic. Justification is easy. Salvation is easy. Following Christ is costly. It's hard. Jesus made no bones about this. Jesus told his disciples to take up their cross and come follow him. There's a cost that's associated with following Christ. Salvation is a free gift, yes, but following Christ is costly. But let me say this too. Can I say this? It is costly. There is a hard aspect of following Christ. But it's also incredibly satisfying to follow Christ and to change and to be different and, and to win the battle with sin again and again and again. I'll just speak personally if I can for a second. I'm not the same man that I was 10 years ago. I've changed. God has done this great work in my life. I'm not the same man I was five years ago. I was talking to Sonia about this even this last week, and she said to me, you know, Tony, the only time you, you really get agitated now, the only time you really get agitated is, is when you're playing video games with Alistair. That's, you know, other than that, you're like a normal, decent, wonderful person, very gentle, very kind, except, except when you play video games. And you know what? I, she's right. I, I own that. I got some work to do in that department. But she's seen in 20 years of marriage to me change. I've seen change. And God's done that work, and it's good. It's costly to follow Christ. Yes, but it's, it's incredibly satisfying. Go ahead and write this down as number two in your notes. God's grace means freedom from sin. Also, God's grace means baptism into Jesus. It means baptism into Jesus. The second point requires some explanation, so let me, let me just talk, talk through this. Paul says in verse 3, follow along with me if you would. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Here's another rhetorical question from Paul. In fact, the only thing that's not a rhetorical question in these first three verses is Paul's statement, by no means. Other than that, he's just asking questions. You know, when Paul asks questions, so when Paul asks a question, he makes a point better than you and I do when we make, make a statement or give a command. He's really good at asking questions to make a point. It's kind of it's like your mama when you were little. And your mama would ask you, are you sure you want to do that right now? Are you sure? And you would say, no, ma'am, I don't think I do. And, or your mama would say, are, are you being disrespectful right now with what you're saying? Are you? And you would say, yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sometimes a good question is better than screaming and yelling. Paul says here in verse 3, here's the question, and it's great. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? What's Paul talking about here? 
What does baptism mean? Do you know? Do you know, church? Why do we do baptism? Have you ever stopped and thought about that? I mean, it's so, it's so inconvenient. You get up in front of the church, you get in this tank of water, you get wet in front of everybody, everybody applauds and cheers for you, the pastor gets wet, and then you, why do we do that? Why, why don't we do something else? And then why do we baptize? Why, why do we do that instead of sprinkle or something like that? You get really wet here at Harvest Decatur. We, I mean, we immerse you underwater. Why do we do that? Well, we do it for a few reasons. First of all, Jesus got baptized. That's a good reason. Secondly, Jesus told us to baptize and to be baptized. That's another good reason. I'm all for it, if that, if that was all. Thirdly, for 2,000 years, Christians have been baptized, signifying their faith in Christ. Christians have done that since Jesus, baptized. That's another good reason to be baptized. But, but let me give you one, another reason. And if those don't convince you, maybe this will. Baptism is a symbol of your death to sin and the new life that you have in Jesus Christ. Every time someone gets baptized here at church, every time they get baptized, we get a chance as a church to celebrate that new life in Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah, praise the Lord, a new life in Christ. Somebody is dead to self, new life in Christ, praise the Lord. Every time that happens when somebody gets baptized. Paul says, don't you know that when we were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death? What does that mean? Well, baptism is the, it's the outward sign of an inward word. John the Baptist said, I will baptize with water, but the one who comes after me will baptize with, with fire and with the Holy Spirit. When you, let me be clear about this. When you get saved, when you give your life to Christ, it's not like you get rehabilitated. It's not like you get an upgrade, you know, Tony Caffey 1.0 becomes Tony Caffey 2.0. I got, I got baptized. I got upgraded. It's not like God takes a pretty good guy and makes him a better guy. It's not like God even takes a bad person and makes him a good person. What's symbolized in baptism is your death. You die to self and you have new life in Christ Jesus. Spiritually, that happens, that new life that we have in Christ and then the water baptism symbolizes that spiritual work inside of you. Getting saved is not like putting a clean sweater over your dirty clothes. It's I'm, I'm, I'm dying to self and I'm resurrecting as a new person in Jesus. That's what it's like. Here's, I've given this illustration before. It's like this. Just think about a guy who owns a, an orchard of apple trees. Let's say this guy's... He's tired of apple trees. He's tired of apples. And he wants to grow peaches instead. He wants peaches. Okay, so what's he going to do? Well, he's going to double his efforts with these trees. He's going to fertilize them, and he's going to prune them, and he's going to work them, work them, work them, work them over and over again. And, you know, if he works really, really hard, instead of getting apples from these apple trees, he's going to get peaches. Is that going to happen? Of course that's not going to happen. You know this. He knows that's not going to happen. What's he got to do if he wants peaches? He's got to take an axe to those apple trees. He's got to cut them down, and he's got to reseed that ground with peach seed in order to get peaches. When you get saved, let's be clear about this. 
When you get saved, you don't just kind of shape up and improve yourself. That, that's like extracting peaches from an apple tree. When you get saved, you die. You die to yourself. You get dead to yourself and you get, you get new life in Christ Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes inside of you as part of that newness. And that's what's signified in baptism, your death. That's, you know, it's one of the reasons that I rarely, if ever, say, you know, when you get baptized, it washes all your sins away. I, I, I typically don't say that. I know, I know, that's the way Ananias describes Paul when Paul got baptized. He said it washed away his sins. And I think there's something to that but it's more than just washing away your sins you you die to yourself that's what's symbolized i've told you all this story before about sam houston haven't i remember when sam houston got baptized general sam houston late in life got baptized in a little creek outside of independence texas and when he came up out of the water they told him General Houston, all your sins have been washed away. And he said, well, God help the fish downstream. When Paul describes baptism, it's more than just that. It's more than just washing away your sins. It was about new life. You, you die to yourself and you embrace a new life in Christ Jesus. It's as, let, me, let me say it this way. It's as if you're now clothed in Christ Jesus when you get saved. That's why, by the way, that's why we immerse people here at Harvest Decay. We put them totally underwater. It's, it's, it's like they're being buried in Christ Jesus to symbolize that death. And then put them all the way underwater. We don't keep them underwater. We bring them up out of the water, symbolizing they're their, their being raised to new life in Christ. Look at verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Now, what's Paul talking about here? It's not ultimately about baptism. Not really. It's ultimately about sin and the power that sin has over you, the power that's been broken. When you get baptized, it's not like, it's not like you've been baptized into Christ Jesus, raised to new life, like, woohoo, okay, let's go sin like crazy now. That is not the way that God intended it. When you, when you get saved, when you rise to new life in Christ Jesus, it's as if you rise in Christ Jesus and say, give me the sword of the Spirit and let's, let's get to work. Let's fight against the devil. Give me the breastplate of righteousness to guard my heart. Give me the, the helmet of salvation. I'm secure in Christ Jesus. So let's fight against sin. Give me the shield of faith so I can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And so that I can pray all times in the spirit. We are not baptized into the death of Christ Jesus so that we can indulge our flesh. We are baptized into Christ Jesus so that we can make war against the enemy. That's what we're called to. In fact, the war... Praise God has already been won. The war is won, but we, we, we fight this battle. We fight the battle until our time, is, until our time comes, until Christ returns or until God calls us home. More on that in a second. Here's the point. One last statement from point number two, and then I'll move on to point number three. 
If you've been baptized, everybody listening with me right now, if you've been baptized, you might say, well, what do you mean, Pastor Tony? Do you mean spirit baptized or do you mean water baptized? I'm referring to both here right now. Okay, I'm not so sure that Paul's not alluding to both here. Let's just say both. Spirit baptism, a.k.a. you've been saved, you've been justified by faith, water baptism. Okay, you've signified that faith by obedience, going under the water, coming out of the water. If you have been baptized into Christ Jesus, then you are at war with sin right now. You have been called to war. So make war, harvesticator. Make war against sin. Fight against the deeds of your flesh. That's what saved people do. That's what justified people do. Not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. Because you have been baptized in Christ Jesus. Let's keep going here. Write this down as number three in your notes. Here's another thing that God's grace means. We're baptized into Jesus. We have new life in Jesus. God's grace means newness of life. Death to self. New life in Christ. I heard another analogy this last week. I heard a pastor tell a story about this, this eagle that was captured in Australia. And I mean, it was this large, beautiful, majestic bird that could spread its wings and fly away. Beautiful creature. But the bird was actually tethered by a rope and was grounded by this, this, this uh, guy who trapped him. And the public outcry over this was just, you know, overwhelming. People, people were appalled that this great, beautiful bird was, was trapped like this and was grounded. And so the, the, the cry of injustice went out and this bird owner had to release his bird. So he cut the tether and this bird was free to fly away. But what do you think this bird did after they cut that tether? I, I bet you can guess what happened. He had been conditioned now to not fly anymore. So he's just hop, hop, hopping around on the ground, this beautiful eagle, refusing to fly, maybe forgetting how to fly. I think some of us live our Christian life like that. We are meant to fly and we're just hop, hop, hopping around in this world, still stuck in patterns of sin. And you are untethered, Christian. You are dead to sin. God has freed us with his power. And, and, you know, we still think we're tethered sometimes. Paul says this in verse 4. He says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. We died to sin. We were baptized into Christ's death. And what are the results of that? Look at verse 4. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We had to die. We had to die to self. We took an axe to our apple trees and we, we seeded peach trees and we produced peaches. Okay? By the way, just for the record, peaches are so much better than apples. So if you don't agree with that statement, it's because you're wrong. Okay? They are. Paul says, we have died and we've been raised in Christ 
And now as a result of that, we walk in newness of life. We have been, to use the other analogy, we have been untethered, folks. So fly away, little birdie. Fly away. Actually, Paul doesn't say fly here. He uses another metaphor. He uses this metaphor of walking. We walk in newness of life, says Paul. The Greek word for walking here is the Greek word peripateo. Peripateo. You know what that word means in Greek, peripateo? It means... It means to walk, okay? Thank you, Pastor Tony, for that brilliant insight. That's what it means. It means to walk. And it's a great picture of the Christian life. Paul says that, you know, now that we're raised as a result of our faith in Christ, we walk. There's movement. We're walking. There's there's advancement. And this is between what we might call justification and glorification. The walking in Christ, that's our sanctification. You guys have heard me say this before too, I know. We, we were saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. We were justified, we were saved, we are being saved, we are being sanctified, we're being made like Christ, we are walking with Christ, we're growing as a disciple. Someday, I'll get to this in just a second, we will be saved. We will receive our new resurrection bodies. We will be in our glorified bodies, justification, sanctification, and then finally glorification. Right now, in the here and now, we are becoming more like Christ. We are being sanctified. We are walking in newness of life. Like I said, walking indicates progress. We're moving from point A to point B. Walking indicates movement. It indicates activity and exercise. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, walk, peripateo, that's that same word, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul says in Ephesians 4, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. I urge you to walk, peripateo. It's like that song from the Proclaimers. If I could walk 500 miles. Y'all remember that song? That song's about us. That's the Christian life. I'm pretty sure that's not what they're singing about. But I'm hijacking that song and using it for my purpose here. That's the Christian life. We walk, walk, walk. We're walking, we're walking, we're walking in the newness of life that Christ Jesus has provided for us. To that you might say, well, what is that newness of life, Pastor Tony? What is that? What does that mean, newness of life? I'll tell you what it means. It means I don't sin like I used to. It means I don't despair like I used to. It means I don't get anxious like I used to. It means I don't feed my sin addictions like I used to. It means I don't get angry like I used to. There's movement. And I know how it is in the Christian life. Sometimes it's like I take three steps forward, I take two steps back. I take three steps forward, I take two steps back. I, I, think, that's, I think that's how the Christian life can be described. Sometimes it's not three, three steps forward, two steps back. It's like two steps backwards. And then somebody from our church, somebody that we love, somebody that we trust, somebody in our small group says, What's wrong with you, dude? Get up and let's keep walking forward. 
And they help us to move forward. And we are walking, we're walking, we're walking, we're growing. We're walking in the newness of life that we have in Jesus Christ. I'll tell you right now, church, that is my life. That is what I have experienced in Christ Jesus. It's like that Rich Mullins song. He said, what I had settled for, you've blown so far away. What you brought me to, I thought I could not reach. I tell you what, Christians, that is my story. That is my life. And I'm not done yet. I'm still walking. I'm still growing. I'm still making war on my flesh. Sometimes I lose the battle with my flesh, but I take comfort in the fact that the war is already won. Someday it'll all be over. So that you might say, well, okay, Tony, you're winning. You got victory. That's great. God's brought you through so much. Doesn't that make you prideful? All this talk about victory, the fact that you've won these battles in your life against sin, doesn't, doesn't that fill, fill you with, with, with hubris and with pride? No, it doesn't. It doesn't because I still know that inside of my heart there are humiliating sins that I still struggle with and am tem- tempted by every day. And I also, here's another reason it doesn't make me prideful. I know that every ounce of victory in my life is a result of Jesus Christ, my Savior, and I give him all the praise and all the glory for that victory. It's like that song that we sing goes. Teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way. And when I cannot stand, I fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. I tell you what, sometimes when we sing that song here at church, I can barely squeak out the words singing because I just start choking up. And I think to myself, that, that is right. That resonates so deeply in my heart. And here's the good news too. Someday all of that, will fall by the wayside. All the temptation will see. Someday the fighting will stop. Someday the victory over our flesh won't be partial. It'll be total. Someday the guerrilla warfare that we're engaged in will, will end. I can't wait for that day. But in the meantime, we fight. We make war. And there's joy in that too. There is. I'm serving my Savior. I'm a slave to righteousness, not a slave to sin. More on that in the coming weeks in Romans 6. Go ahead and write this down as number four. Speaking of that day when we will lay down our weapons and we rest forever in the Lord. Here's the fourth point. God's grace means future resurrection. God's grace means future resurrection. God's grace means freedom from sin. God's grace means baptism into Jesus. God's grace means newness of life. God's grace means future resurrection. 
Paul says in verse 5, let's finish this up. He says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. If, you'll, if you've noticed, if you've been paying attention as we've worked through the book of Romans, you know, Paul never goes very far without talking about eternity, about the eternal life that we have, about our experience in eternity. Why does he do that? Why does he keep reinforcing that? New life in Christ, resurrection bodies, all of that. I think it's because he knows his audience. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. He's writing to Roman Christians in Rome, in the belly of the beast, so to speak. At any moment, the Romans could come, knock on their door, and then just say, off with their heads and kill every person in the room. Paul knows that, and so he's promising them, he's encouraging them, someday all of this will end. Someday we'll have a future with the Lord, and it'll be fantastic. Can you imagine at the silliness of somebody in that day, a prosperity preacher in our day, coming up to these people with a big smile on their face and saying, hey, you know, if you follow Jesus, your life's going to be great. It's the power of positive thinking. You think it up, and it'll be great, and nothing bad will ever happen to you. Those people would laugh at a person like that. They knew that it was hard to follow Christ. Paul never promised them that, that they wouldn't have trouble in this life. In fact, Paul, later in his life, Paul had his head removed from his body by the Roman emperor Nero. So Paul doesn't promise a newness of life without difficulty or trial or persecution in the here and now. What does he, do, what does he promise, though? What does Paul promise them? It's, it's actually the same thing that Jesus promises us. He promises a future resurrected body. He promises that if we have been united with him in a death like his, verse 5. And that's a big if. If we have been. If you have been saved by faith in, in the death of Jesus Christ. If you have been crucified with Christ, as Paul says elsewhere in Galatians chapter 2. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If that has happened to you, Christian... If, that, if that's true, has that happened to you? Is that true of you? If it is, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Jesus got a new body. I'm going to get a new body. Jesus was raised immortal. I'm going to raise immortal. Be raised from the dead immortal. And so will you, Christian. In a resurrection body, it has no more sickness, no more death, no more sin, no more disease, no more COVID-19, no more COVID-20, 21, 22, or anything else that comes our way. That's what awaits us. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Yesterday I was, I was feeling kind of, I don't know, blah, out of shape, stir crazy. And, you know, I haven't, I haven't played basketball in like six weeks. So I'm, I'm kind of restless and I haven't worked out much. So I, I decided yesterday, you know, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to do some sit-ups and I'm going to do some push-ups. I was pretty proud of myself. Got up yesterday, did my 20 sit-ups. 
I did my 10 push-ups, which was a lot harder than it used to be. And I, but I got through it, and I was kind of bragging about it yesterday with Sonia, like, hey, I did my 10 push-ups today. Did you know that, huh? So I got up this morning, and I'm thinking, you know, I should do that again. So I tried my push-ups, and I, I didn't make it to 10. I made it to, like, the sixth push-up. And on, then on the way up, as I was pushing myself up, I, I tweaked my back awkwardly. And then I was kind of hunched over the whole morning. I was walking around the house like, like Quasimodo. What happened to you? I was doing my push-ups. I didn't even do 10. I only did six. Is that ever going to happen, Pastor Tony, when you get a new resurrection body? Are you ever going to have to deal with coronavirus again? Am I going to ever have to deal with that again when I get a new resurrection body, Pastor Tony? Never. Never again will we deal with that. New resurrection bodies for those who are in Christ Jesus. I can't wait for that day. I wish it would come soon. I wish Christ would return today. But in the meantime, right now, we fight. We live the life, the newness of life that Jesus has given us. We walk in newness of life and we fight the good fight of faith. That's what we do in the here and now. I'll close with this. I've shared this before, but it's really good and I just have to share it again. It's a story about the great church father and theologian, Augustine. If you didn't know this, Augustine, the church father, he was, before he became a Christian, he was pretty much a, a sex addict, and he had a problem with lust. He was, like, he was like Rasputin before Rasputin was Rasputin, okay? He was the debauched one. But then Augustine got saved. And that whole aspect of his life got radically transformed, and he was a, a changed man. Well, one day he went to this town, and um, it was a town that he had frequented before he got saved, and there was a woman who lived in this town that he knew well and that he had a sexually charged relationship with. And this woman saw him, and she came up to him, and she was kind of hoping to kind of reconnect, if you know what I mean, their relationship. And Augustine was, was perfectly kind to her. He was courteous to her. And he, he just let her know that that wasn't going to happen and wasn't interested in that anymore. And the woman was really puzzled by this, and she, she didn't know what to do. And so she maybe wondered if he even remembered her or recognized her. And so he came up, she came up to Augustine, and she said, Augustine, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine turned back to her and, and he said, yeah, I, I know. But it is not I. It is not I. I what, what did he mean by that? I'm no longer the man that I used to be. 
It is not I. I'm no longer the sinner that indulges my flesh like I used to. What, what happened to Augustine? What changed him? He became a new creation in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He was walking in the newness of life. Romans chapter 6 verse 4. And it's not that he didn't have issues of sin or struggle with sin. He, he did. Trust me. He did. But he was a categorically different person. He was, in the words of Jesus, he was born again. John chapter 3. He was born again. The great hymn writer John Newton, he said it this way. He said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. Yet I can truly say I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan. By the grace of God, I am what I am. That's us, believers. That's us, Christians. If we are baptized in Christ Jesus, if we are baptized in Him, bow in a word of prayer with me, and then we can sing together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the salvation that was made possible by your death upon the cross. Lord, we are dead to sin. Help us to live in the reality of that. Help us to fight the good fight of faith against our, our flesh and our sin nature. Help us to fight, Lord, not in order to be saved or in order to stay saved, Lord. That is such a false view of what you did for us. That perverts what you did for us. But help us to fight for holiness because we are saved, because of what you did for us. Shall we continue sending so that grace may abound? God forbid, Lord, put inside of our hearts such a revulsion towards sin that we would fight against it, that we would even recruit others to help us fight against it. And God, as we live out the newness of life that you give us, give us joy, the fruit of the Spirit, joy, peace, love, goodness. Those are good things. Those are sweet things, Lord. Help us to live in the reality of them, we pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.